1: Well, ten weeks into this COVID-19 reality, uh, and and we know that a lot of folks continue to work from homes, um, or or they're dealing with new restrictions in the office. Well, friend of the show, Dr. Peter Brindley continues to be on the front lines of COVID-19. He's a critical care physician at the University of Alberta's hospital, uh, the intensive care unit. He admits that battling the virus has meant, unfortunately, spending less time with his patients, and he worries about that. He says it's forced himself and others to reevaluate the role dr. Brindley Peter welcome back to the show
0: Thank you jaylen I loved hearing those stories about people uh, fixing their cars <laughs> putting bourbon in every recipe <laughs> like you I'm <laughs> eager to see one and try the other
1: well in and, that, and, and that's it I, I it, yeah I know I'm not sure how much downtime you have these days but have you found yourself uh, picking up any new hobbies
0: Uh uh, no. Y- yes and no. I mean, I <laughs> still enjoy sunsets an enormous amount, and I'm getting out on my bike now that uh, the weather's getting better uh, today, notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, sunset sounds like a, a personal ad there for a second, or a, an old cheesy 70s song, but I love it, Dr. Brindley. <laughs> well,
0: I'm from the 70s, and I'm most assuredly cheesy, so yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, go, come on.
1: <laughs> you wrote uh, another article uh, talking about, uh, and it's titled COVID, COVID nineteen has shown us the difference between solitude and loneliness, Peter. And can can you take us into this article and what you saw, what you think people your some of your patients are feeling and, and, and how you're feeling when it comes to isolation and and having patients in isolation.
0: Yeah, well thanks very much for the opportunity. It's you know, we've always known that breaking your arm and spending a day in hospital is incredibly it was, sorry. It's so much easier, not to take away from it, but so much easier than being in a hospital for months or living with chronic pain or a chronic disease. But COVID has really brought this home. You know, patients need to see healthcare workers. They need to see the sparkle in our eyes. We need to see the sparkle in their eyes. And all of this clunky gear that we're forced to wear, the limits on visitors, and the limits on just sort of typical human interactions, we knew in the past were tough, but but it really is bringing it home. and so huge sympathy to our patients and huge sympathy to family members who until very recently couldn't visit. Fortunately, those restrictions are being slowly lifted, and I for one, am delighted. So
1: so Peter, we know that there's been studies done in the past on on isolation and I mean pre-covid, and it shows that those patients uh, do suffer more than others.
0: They do. We all do, actually. So do the healthcare workers, because uh, we got into this job to to interact with fellow human beings. Um, studies have shown, despite everybody's best efforts, people don't go into the room as often. There aren't as many physical exams. Visitors, even pre-COVID, didn't come into the hospital as often when people were isolated. So. You know, the term isolation, it's a big one, both literally and figuratively. Remember, the worst thing you can possibly do to a prisoner is put them on isolation. Uh, The worst thing you can do to a teenager is ground them. (laughs) You know, we shouldn't be surprised that these things have profound effects on people. but, But even as somebody who's written some of this literature, it's really brought it home to me what a... Tough, tough thing has been. So it's been extremely tough for our patients, extremely tough for our families, and by proxy, I bet you it's been really tough for people who loved their first week of watching Netflix and have sort of hated Mm. ten weeks of watching
1: Mm -hmm. Netflix. What about concern about people? And we've heard a lot about it, uh, Dr. Brindley, about about folks maybe holding off in going to the hospital for fear of possibly being put into isolation, something like that, and that, that concern about people not getting the care that they need because they don't want to go to the hospital at this time of, uh, you know, in this stage of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, it's, it's scared a lot of people. Um, it, there's a strange comfort in working in the hospital, that it's, you know, we know this as doctors and nurses, and we teach this to our juniors in a strange way. It's our happy place. It's where the world makes sense and we understand the rules. We've always known for patients that that's not the case, Uh, and and again, even more so during COVID.
1: Do you think um, putting people into isolation is happening more right now because of a fear, um, you know, as we're waiting for tests to come back?
0: Well, they they say the road to hell is paved with good intention. There is a degree where well-intentioned people are... how can I put this? Almost finding a way to isolate everybody. Mm. In other words, you could conceivably say, well, this person's drunk or intoxicated, therefore I can't ask them the questions and screen them. Isolate them. Mm. This person um, has had the test done, but, but the test isn't always uh, fully uh, positive or fully negative, so we better isolate them anyway. And these are all well-intentioned. But the problem is safety, and I'm talking safety with a big S. Mm-hmm. Safety can be dangerous.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are downsides. Yeah, and 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 I, I was talking with a, a nurse friend of mine recently who said, um, you know, in her ward, she works in a in a palliative care ward, and she w- wasn't having as many um, um, patients in there. She said it. At times, it was giving them the opportunity actually to spend more time um, with these patients. Again, they're not in isolation, but um, they, they, that connection—being able to do that—you're saying, on the other hand, that you know what we're in and, and all this mask and, and everything—is is distancing. When in fact, you know more than anything, that these these patients and the the the, the healthcare team need to find a connection.
0: Yeah, we all do. Human connections, oxygen to most of us. And so uh, it's wonderful that the nurse you referred to is is able to use this to spend more time with patients. Uh, And we, I, I promise you, we strive to do exactly the same. It's just literal and figurative isolation makes this difficult you know it's it's actually been it's certainly not about me but I mean it's tougher for me to keep in touch with friends as it is for everybody else Uh, I walked into uh, buy some sticky buns for our nurses the other day and I had I promise you a completely clean pair of scrubs on as I raced to the hospital and you know emptied the bakery uh, <laughs> just by walking into it, which was it was terrific to get to the front of the queue um, but but you know there is a lot of fear, some of it irrational, and uh, there are consequences to all of us, I think, for being isolated. There may be ten or fifteen percent of the population that doesn't enjoy a handshake Finds mm-hmm. hugs a bit awkward i i get it but i am the diametric opposite i need to see the sparkle in somebody's eyes i love a rub a um not a rub a rib <laughs> bust. my goodness please scrub that uh a rib busting hug uh you know i love a kiss on the cheek and then those are Those are the things that make existence all the more special for me. So I I feel for our patients.
1: Now, you've been uh, a doctor for a number of of years now. Uh, Peter, how has isolation changed over the years? Uh, Well,
0: I've been a doctor for over 20 years. I'm an extremely old man. (laughs) Uh, It's changed and it's not changed. And, and, you know, COVID is familiar and unfamiliar. It's a bit of a Schrodinger's cat of a disease. It's, we've isolated people for things like MRSA for a long time. So the principles are understood by everybody. There's droplet isolation, there's aerosol isolation. We understand these things. We've never had sort of mass isolation though. It's always been within an ICU two or three patients. Mm. Or, or perhaps at most a third of our patients. What's happening now is we have Units where we're making them the triage areas where just about everybody's isolated for at least 24, 48 hours. And then other places where we're trying desperately to keep them 100% COVID negative. And that's very tricky when you don't even know that Safeways, for mm-hmm. example, is 100% negative.
1: You um you were quoted as saying in a, in an interview that you question how much of medicine is, is pills and potions and how much is engaging with a fellow human being. Can you expand on that? I loved it.
0: <laughs> the rubbish I say. hey. Oh yeah, I loved um, it. Well, let me know. I mean, th- I I think that's I think that stands the test of time and and it's been that way for two thousand years. Uh, I'm the son of a scientist. I'm the son of a palliative care counselor, and I've always thought. That the job was i don't know whether it's halfway in between but there's a there's a famous quote that many doctors are taught in their first month and that is that medicine is the most scientific of the humanities and the most humane of the sciences hmm. and i hope it always keeps both uh without the science you know we're just dogmatic and we're just making stuff up on the fly so we can't have that but without addressing people's needs that can't always be quantified on an x-axis and on a y-axis, then it's, you know, it's, it's just science, and science isn't enough, and it's not the job I ever want to do either. So it's just that isolation, it doesn't change the job, but it does make it trickier for everyone and the very patients that we want to connect with. We just have to work harder and redouble and triple our efforts. As I say, fortunately, those restrictions are being gradually yeah.
1: lifted. Well, I was going to say, though, you know, you have a role as, as a doctor to go in and take care of, the, uh, you know, uh, your patient from a medical perspective. But but as well, I'm, I'm sure that you're trying to, you know, you talk about bedside manner and, and that sort of stuff, even trying to be more of a... I mean, the companion isn't the right word, but to to be there, uh, maybe someone to listen to, someone to show some friendship, especially if the family isn't allowed to be in.
0: Yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. We're having to play all of those roles. And
1: there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, in, in a way, to be honest with you. I think there's there's some doctors that could, could learn a really big lesson with that.
0: <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Doctors, <laughs> nurses, members of the public, you back Journalists, you name it. Well, I know I, all no, those people are pl- close to perfection. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but absolutely. And, and you know what? I, I hope I've changed because of COVID. I hope I change because of every patient I meet and and slowly move closer towards the better because I see so much of the worst. Um, You know, we're we're all desperate to go back to normal. uh, And and I hope I've explained why normal would be better than where we are right now. I hope we all pick up lessons from it and... um, you know we don't go entirely back to normal in other words the sort of brusque manner where we brush each other off where we look at personal interactions and sort of think what can i get out of this uh, i hope COVID, in some ways has changed us all for the better made us slow down and uh made us slightly better people without again Sounding like a 1970s song,
1: Peter. Uh, recently, I was watching a, a documentary on on 60 Minutes, and it was the um, the Shoah Museum that uh, had recorded the stories of Holocaust survivors, and um, and and so when they passed, you could still have a conversation with these survivors. It was incredibly powerful, and. One story just hit me and it was um, an, an old man now, but he told the story when he was about seven or nine years old, his family was taken away and his dad turned to him and said, go run. And he ran through the sewer system, uh, came out on the other end to uh, to a farmhouse. Long story short, um, the people in that farmhouse put that little boy up into an attic for, for two years. He's seven, nine years old. He lived in an attic for two years. He would get something dropped off if he was lucky for food but he had talked about the fact that he he uh, flies would come in and he would pull the the wings off the flies to keep them there so he wouldn't be alone and it was just such an incredible powerful story and and you talk about how some people have survived intense isolation and managed to come out on the other side to me i i mean i think that we are going to learn so much through what we've gone through um, what the patients have gone through there is so much to learn human humankind wise just on a human level on a medical level you name it you'll be teaching your students about this for years to come
0: well, how beautifully put! Uh, if we we need human connection. Um, I caught myself watching Castaway a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and you know, as doctors, we often push our emotions down, and then they they sort of emerge at the strangest times. We see a TV commercial, or in this case, Tom Hanks and Castaway talking to his uh, volleyball Wilson. Yeah, and and and. I got it. I got it completely. Um, the story you've just told is is absolutely beautiful. As a, as a colleague of mine pointed out, Anne Frank was in isolation for over 700 days. Yep. And, and we're all struggling, me too, with, with a couple of months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Perspective. Perspective. Uh, Dr. Finley, Peter. Uh, Dr. Finley, and then I know you're going to correct me, so I threw in Peter, but, you know, Peter. <laughs> You should just call him I know
0: that. a Dr. Finley, and he's a wonderful chap. Okay. Do, you,
1: do you know a Dr. Finley, Peter? No. Dr. Brindley. How about Brindley? Let's get it right. That'll do. Um, thank you for joining me once again. Always great to talk with you. I, I, I enjoy your candor and your and your honesty. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, absolutely delighted. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to the uh, listeners that sent pictures of their pets before that we passed along <laughs> to uh, <laughs> our patients. No, no, no. It was pet therapy. It was very valuable. Oh. It says iPad, so... That- patients can communicate. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I love Edmonton and Alberta.
1: Uh, thank you, Dr. Brindley. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Yes. Okay, bye-bye. Dr. Peter Brindley joining us this afternoon. Uh, man, my, my tongue was getting ahead of my uh, mind there. Surprise, surprise. But uh, he works at uh, the University of Alberta Hospital, of course, in the intensive care unit and uh, penned some really interesting articles on the side. Uh, you can find out more about this story and about some of his thoughts at globalnews.ca.